This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So I'm, I hope you're feeling like I'm ready for some Howard. No, okay. <laughs> yes, right. We're, I've got two more uh, of my big objection series uh, that we're going to land. This felt appropriate as it's the week after Easter Sunday. Now, uh, we're going to roll together. Uh, is the Bible historically accurate? And is there's no evidence for miracles and supernatural events? And we're going to do that by looking at the resurrection. So my big question is, uh, Christianity is based on the unsubstantiated belief that Jesus rose from the dead. And my title is Resurrection Beyond Reasonable Doubt. Just to clarify really where, what we're saying is that I did a talk about is, um, is God, uh, does, has science buried God? And I just want to pick a little bit of the argument. So if there's that circular slide there, Rich. Uh, this is a talk of discussion that I've had with folks um, and... This may represent your point of view, uh, but basically people say to me, there is no God. There's no God. And I say, well, 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 why is that? And they say, there's no evidence for God's existence. So one of the things that I tend to say, or people often say, would say, "Well, well, what about the resurrection of Jesus? And people would say, well, it didn't happen. And then you say, well, why, why, why didn't it happen? You know, there's lots of historical evidence Ah, but supernatural events don't happen. And then you say, well, how can you be sure? And say, well, because there is no God. So we're trying to just remove that little circle out of, out of the thing at the start. So, so one of the things, there's a guy who's a Jewish uh, writer, wrote a, I think it's a 900-page book on the historical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. And in his conclusion, he says, well, Jesus couldn't have risen from the dead because miracles don't happen. And I thought, why did you bother doing the historical work? So what we're saying is we're trying to look at things uh, historically rather than from a presupposition of, of course, we all believe in miracles or we don't. But actually, what you think about the resurrection really, really matters. It doesn't just matter um, uh, intellectually. It matters, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 14, he says actually the resurrection of Jesus is the kind of tipping point. It's the keystone, it's the crux, no pun intended, of... um, of what Christians believe. He says this incredible thing. It says, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then we've nothing to say. Some translations say our preaching is in vain, but I thought I wouldn't put that up because you might get personal with me. We've nothing to say and that you've nothing to believe. More than that, we, Paul and his colleagues, are found to be false witnesses about God. For we testified, that's a legal term, we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. If Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile. We are, of all people, most to be mocked. So it doesn't really feel like this is a critical one 
Most people wouldn't mention the resurrection of the dead if you asked them. They'd say, oh, I don't believe the Bible's true, or I don't believe miracles happen, all that kind of stuff. But actually, this resurrection, yes or no, did it happen or didn't happen, really focuses uh, the question, is Christianity true? So if we can't conclude this morning that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you have every reason to think, what are these people at God first and of the churches in town and across the nations? What are they doing if Jesus has not been raised from the dead? It's all a waste of time. In other words, it's not because we like community. There's a church in London that does church without God. I don't know what it's called, but they just do community. It's not that we like community, although we love community. It's not that just we think, oh, it's nice to sing songs together, or Christianity kind of makes you a nicer person. We're actually saying, and Paul is saying, that we fundamentally believe as Christians that Jesus rose from the dead. And what I want to do this morning is I want to say, well, is that true or not? Is that true or not? So what we're going to do is we're going to try and look at, does the resurrection fulfill historical legals? Next slide. It says, the historical event, no historical event can be proved by a scientific method. Its truthfulness is attested by the historical legal method. There's two standards. One is called beyond reasonable doubt, which means no other logical explanation can be derived from the facts. And the other one's that you're in the civil court, it's the balance of probability. It's more likely or not. Okay. So it's interesting, uh, if you asked a lawyer, would you take this on a no-win, no-fee basis? Most lawyers would say yes. But let's just look at the evidence. First one, Jesus really lived and died. The reality of of Jesus' life and crucifixion is uncontroversial. Um, Here's a couple of quotes from people who are not not Christians. One's called Tacitus, a bit of history, and another one's called Josephus. Let me read them to you. Uh, So this is, they lived AD uh, AD. Well, lived before uh, the turn of the first century. Christians derived their name from a man called Christ, who during the reign of Emperor Tiberius had been executed by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate. The deadly superstition, that would be us, thus checked for a moment, but broke out afresh, not only in Judea, but the first source of the evil, but also in the city of Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world meet and become popular. Read. London, I don't know. Yes, okay, so, um, so that's what he's saying, that, that this guy Jesus did live, and uh, when, he was cru- uh, when he was sentenced to death, it all quieted down, but then it's got even worse. So that's Tacitus for you. And this guy called Josephus, who's uh, a Jewish guy, was captured by the Romans, and wrote a history of the Jewish people with the Romans breathing over his shoulder. Now, it's interesting, actually, if you've seen this quote before, some Christians have tried to tamper with it, so I've tried to untamper with it for you. Okay, so this is probably what it read. I'll miss out the brackets which were added by Christians trying to make it stronger. Why did they feel the need to do that? I don't know. This is what Josephus probably wrote. At this time, there appeared a wise, Jesus, a wise man. For as a doer of startling deeds, a teacher of people who received the truth with pleasure. He gained a following both among Jews and among many of Greek origin. Then... Pilate, because of an accusation made by the leading men amongst us, condemned him to the cross. Those who loved him previously did not cease to do so. And until this day, the tribe of Christians named after him has not died out. In other words, so there's two bits of evidence that uh, Jesus lived and died outside the Bible. Uh, I could, there's a couple of slides, we'll just jump through them, don't worry about the next one. I'll give you, there's a whole list of things that you can do. But here's our friend Richard Dawkins, who tends to come up in this series. He said this, can we go to uh, Richard Dawkins' quote? He says, it's not 
possible, he said this in his book, The God Delusion, it's not even possible to mount a, sorry, it is even possible, sorry, it is even possible to mount a serious, though not widely supported, historical case that Jesus never lived at all. He wrote that in his book. Now actually, uh, there's a a professor of history in uh, Australia who said he would eat his Bible if somebody, if, if, if Richard Dawkins could find a, a professor of history who said Jesus didn't live. And actually, in a debate with John Lennox, who's a professor of maths from Oxford, he said, in a debate, okay, <laughs> Jesus existed. He retracted his claim. So everybody believes that Jesus really existed, really is a historical figure, and he really died. Okay, so the next, next piece of evidence, it's almost like we're going to try and build up a court case here. Next piece of evidence, uh, probably... Friday, 7th of April, 30 AD, probably, Jesus' executioners pronounced him dead on the cross. So Jesus had been crucified and they pronounced him dead. This is what John writes. John was an eyewitness. So imagine him coming up. John, give me your evidence. Yeah, swear by Almighty God. Well, I wouldn't do that, but uh, swear. Come and give me evidence. This is what it says. But when they came to Jesus and found he was already dead, they did not break his legs. It's interesting on crucifixion that the method, without getting into too much detail, the method of death was suffocation. That you would be nailed, hands and feet, and you would hang on the nails, uh, catching a breath. But because the, the, the difficulty to holding your hands up, you're gradually slumped down and you weren't able to lift your diaphragm. And gradually you just hang there for hours and sometimes days just slowly suffocating. And the impact of that is to crush your heart um, because the heart gets, tries to beat to catch breath, gets faster and faster, and then your heart gives out. And so what they would do to speed crucifixion would to be to break the legs of the people that were crucified. Obviously, they were crucified naked and publicly. They would break their legs so they couldn't push themselves up, so they would gradually slink down. But John records that when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. Six hours on the cross, he's already dead. Instead, one of the soldiers, obviously experienced Roman executioners perhaps, pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water, which suggests that his plasma, uh, his blood had separated into plasma and red cells, and that flowed out from it because his heart had ruptured. The man who saw it, this is John, has given testimony, and his testimony is true. And he he knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so you believe. So in other words, he's testifying. I'm, I'm making a statement in a court of law. The, second fa- the third fact then, so Jesus really lived and died. Then he's, he actually died, on the, pronounced dead on the cross. Jesus was buried in a sealed and guarded tomb. What, uh, what would normally happen with a crucified victim is that they would be thrown uh, into, uh, with, into where the town would keep their rubbish. Um, and the bodies were just cast away, although sometimes just left on the cross after they died, and uh, crows and carrion would just eat the bodies. Uh, But when Jesus died, uh, he had a rich friend uh, called uh, Joseph of Arimathea, and John continues in John 19 in this. A rich man from Arimathea named Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he'd cut out of rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. That's an interesting piece of evidence. 
And then later on, Pilate says, Take a guard, Pilate ordered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. So what would happen is that this big stone was rolled over the entrance to the tomb. They'd seal it up. I don't know whether they'd put a, a rope across with a kind of governor's seal that if you broke this seal, you'd also be uh, crucified because you weren't allowed to break the seal. So there's a seal put across. And also they, they po- uh, posted the Roman guard, which would be 12 soldiers. Obviously, these Roman soldiers had conquered the world. So you're not talking about a bunch of kind of amateur Boy Scouts here. They, these were professional soldiers. And if they neglected on their duty, they'd be crucified as well. It's interesting, it says that Joseph of Arimathea rolled a big stone in front of the tomb. Now, if you look at that picture, the stone is on a bit of an incline, yeah? And what's in the big picture that's, that's pointed to the little picture, what's underneath the stone? Can you see? It's not great. This, I've tried to find a picture of, of just an old a tomb. Under the, to, under the stone, the corner of the stone, there's actually loads of little chuck stones. So they'd have the big stone... Uh, and then they'd have these little small stones that actually you could clear away quite easily. One person could clear away quite easily, and then the stone would be free to, to roll. Obviously, when you're rolling the stone the other way, you're pushing it up an incline, and it probably weighed about as much as a Volkswagen Golf. So you've got this big stone. So that Jesus is placed in the tomb, and the stone is rolled over the front and um, sealed. Okay, so that's... Jesus is buried in a seal tomb. Fact four. On Easter Sunday morning, probably the 9th of April, at 30 AD, everybody agreed that the tomb was empty. Everybody agrees this. Every person in the story, every historical document says that the tomb was empty. This is what Luke, who was a doctor, who's actually credited as writing an orderly account, this is what it says. On the first day of the week, early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. So that's the first thing that's really important, that the tomb was empty. There's, there was no body. Nobody could find a body. There was a, and in one sense, you can't have a crime without a body, but nobody could find the body. They, uh, clearly, Jesus was uh, died on the cross. Clearly, Jesus was put in a tomb. Everybody knew that, where the tomb was. It was marked by a seal, so everyone knows that tomb. It was guarded by soldiers. On the Easter Sunday morning, uh, that first Easter Sunday morning, that the, when they arrived at the tomb, the stone was rolled away. Now, it's interesting, actually, that it was women that found Jesus' tomb empty. Um, and that's pretty important. The reason why is because actually women, sadly, uh, their testimony wasn't allowed in a court of law. So if you're making this up, if you're going to make this up, why would you have women? You'd have Joseph of Arimathea go and find the, the empty tomb, not women, because women weren't allowed, their testimony wasn't allowed in a court of law. So why, why, why choose women? But anyway, everybody agrees. Whichever gospel you read, whatever yeah, evidence you read, everybody agrees that the tomb was empty. And also, everybody agree that Jesus was seen alive. Many claim to have seen Jesus alive. This is what Paul writes. He said, I passed unto you of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the 12, that's the 12 disciples, 
12 apostles. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most who are still alive. Now, it's interesting, actually, that there's about 17 uh, bits of evidence uh, that are for this, but, uh, but all of them come from the Bible. And so this is kind of how it works. Let's do one of those little circles again. So if you say to somebody, well, is there any evidence for the resurrection? Are there any historical evidence for the resurrection? Um, people say, no, no, there's no evidence for the resurrection. And you say to them, well, what about the 17 eyewitness accounts that are in the Bible? 17 eyewitness accounts that are written by different people at different times. What about those 17 eyewitness accounts? Don't they count? In fact, it's a 17-0 it's a um, document kind of score. 17 documents that say this event happened, that the tomb was empty and Jesus appeared alive, and no documents that rebut that. Now, it's interesting, if, uh, if, you, did, if you looked at the Second World War... If you stacked up the documents that said the Second World War Holocaust happened, you know, the, the massacre of the Jews in the concentration camps, you'd find a lot of evidence, wouldn't you? And you'd find very few rebuttals. Few Holocaust deniers, you might find. Now, what's going to happen if you, if you roll that... Because why, why is that evidence so stacked like that? Because actually, we're still in a lifetime. I think one of the things when Steven Spielberg did the film at Schindler's List... At the end of that film, there's like a lot of interviews, isn't there, of people, of real people. And he said, I wanted to show that this was a real event. Now, if we rolled it through 100 year, 200 years, you could start, people could start to say, oh, no, it never happened. It's a conspiracy, the Jews made it up, or whatever. But actually, while we're still in the eyewitness time, it's very, very difficult to do that. And Paul writes in Romans 15, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 when he says it's appeared to 500 and they're still alive. There's all these eyewitnesses around. Nobody wrote that the tomb wasn't empty. Nobody wrote that Jesus hadn't appeared to anybody. Nobody, there was no rebuttal of that. In fact, um, one guy uh, wrote this list. Let me just read this list to you. Claims about seeing Jesus alive. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses. The eyewitnesses' accounts were early. In other words, Everybody was still alive. People that saw it when it happened were still alive. The eyewitness accounts differ in minor details and agree in major details, which shows they weren't sitting down in a room and saying, let's write this story. Oh, oh, you're not saying the same things. There's evidence that they're written at different places. The eyewitnesses' accounts are detailed and they're varied according to circumstances and people. They contain embarrassing details. Can anybody think of an embarrassing detail that was contained in one of the stories? Obviously, if your name's Thomas, you don't feel very good about the resurrection story as it's recorded. Because what happens is, Jesus appears to the disciples, they think he's a ghost, and then he says to them, don't worry, I'm not a ghost, I really have risen from the dead, and eat some fish, and then they don't see him, and then they tell Thomas... Jesus is risen, and he says, you're joking. No way, I won't believe it. He gets quite kind of bossy about it and says, unless I put my finger in the print of the palms, unless I put in the hole, unless I put my hand in its side, I'm not going to believe. And the next time Jesus appears, he says to Thomas, Thomas, come, well, hang on a minute, how did you know? Come over here and put your hand in my side. Thomas doesn't get anywhere near putting his hand in his side. He just falls on the floor and says, my Lord and my God. So those kind of bits of evidence, you'd say, oh, please don't put that in. 
Please don't put that in. I don't want to be called Doubting Thomas all my life. Okay, so there's, uh, and this is critical. Many of the eyewitnesses suffered, even died defending their claims that Jesus has risen. Nearly everybody that wrote that they'd seen Jesus alive in some form or other was killed for the fact. They claimed that he was alive, but they had nothing to gain. So that's the fact that, that, that Jesus was claimed to be alive by loads of witnesses. And if you imagine a court of law, you could bring them in. One after another after another, I've seen Jesus alive. You could bring them in saying, the tomb's empty. And in fact, the other thing that's really interesting is, what about the growth of the church? So what you've got is a, a, a funny bunch of guys, uh, fishermen, 12 fishermen, maybe 120 followers. At the story finishes where Jesus dies, and they say, that is it. They all go back fishing. They weren't kind of saying, well, let's set up churches. Let's kind of have meetings and conferences. You know, they were basically saying, that's it. Peter goes back fishing. It's the end of the story. He's finished. They all go home. And actually, even when Jesus rises from the dead, the first people that he appears to, two people are walking on the road saying, it's just been a disaster. Jesus, who we thought was God, thought was the Messiah, has been crucified and, and it's all over. But yet we go from that to, by the first century, if you show the map, the, the slide, sorry, it didn't come out right. By the first century, the, the, uh, within 70 years, the, every, they found thousands, thousands of Christians in that area. By the second century, it's basically the whole of, of Europe has uh, believed the resurrection. Peter Lewis, who's a, a pastor, wrote a book called The Glory of Christ. A pastor from Nottingham says this, it's not the church that birthed the resurrection, but the resurrection of Jesus that birthed the church. In other words, it's not that they sat down and said, let's make up a story. What happened was this, in, this story of Jesus died and risen again impacted them so much that actually they went everywhere telling everybody they couldn't keep the secret they could they they were telling everybody more and more people became believers because they met eyewitnesses who said i've seen jesus alive okay so we got those those are the facts let's just roll this through i can see that obviously you'd think jury service can you just do something a bit more touchy-feely a bit more emotional i'm really sorry i think this Sometimes we'll go this way. Okay, so this, these are the answers that people say, well, actually, okay, the tomb was empty and Jesus uh, appeared alive, but this is why. This is what happened. So these are, it's almost like we've had the, the evidence in favor. Now let's get the evidence against, bring the first witness in. First witness says, the tomb was empty because the woman went to the wrong tomb. Okay, now we'd read, actually, John says that actually as they were sealing the tomb, Mary and the other Mary were watching. Now, they're the ones who go to the tomb. They wanted to know where the tomb was because actually, although they didn't expect Jesus to rise again, they wanted to go and anoint his body. They wanted to cover it with spices because obviously in the Middle East, bodies rot quickly and they wanted to honor the the body. And that would be the normal procedure. But because Jesus was very quickly, they didn't have a chance to do that. They weren't allowed to do it on Saturday because that was the Sabbath. So they go down Sunday morning expecting to find a dead body in the tomb that they last saw him buried in. It's really interesting that, um, that, that, that it's the sort of answer is, well, the women were so emotional. You know, women, they get very emotional and, you know, their tears and their tears are filling their eyes and they're, they're wandering around and they just come across an empty tomb. It wasn't really, they're not quite sure which tomb they go in and say, oh, it's empty. He must have risen. It's a bit sexist, isn't it? And also, as I said before, they wouldn't, if you were making up the story, you'd never have women as, as, the, evident, as the first witnesses. 
because their evidence wasn't allowed in the court of law. Now, the answer to this, if it says the women went to the wrong tomb, what are you going to do? You're basically going to say, well, come on, ladies, you've really, really messed up. Let's take you to this tomb here. Ah, that's the sealed tomb. That's where the dead body is. Yeah? So it doesn't really bear any credibility because why why didn't they show them? If the women went to the wrong tomb and said, oh, he's risen, why didn't they show them the right tomb? And it still doesn't explain why did Jesus appear to all these people. But some people have suggested it's the women who had no idea. Next one. Some people say the, the authorities stole the body. So that's the Roman or the Jewish authorities stole the body of Jesus. Now, I don't know what their motive would be. Why would they want to steal the body? They wanted him dead and buried and sealed in the tomb. Why would they want to steal his body? What would be their motive for stealing the body? And then when all these crazy Christians start to believe, when kind of just uh, uh, three or four weeks later in the middle of May, 3,000 people in Jerusalem start to say, Jesus is risen from the dead. They must say, look, excuse me, this is the body. We've just had it stored away in a Roman cupboard. That's the end of the story doesn't make sense. And even if they did decide to steal the body, it still doesn't explain how Jesus appeared to people alive. What about uh, a couple more? The tomb was empty because Jesus wasn't really dead. This is called the swoon theory. Okay, so let's, let's go with it. So Jesus is nailed to a cross. Uh, six hours dying slowly. He'd been Roman scourged before. Uh, His his strength was already uh, ebbing away. Uh, He's carried a cross. In fact, he's so weak before you've even crucified, he can't carry the cross beam. Someone else has to carry the cross beam. So he's he's battered his face. I mean, I don't know if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, that film. It feels like they're doing front and back, and it's just awful. I don't know how badly scarred and damaged he was, but certainly his back would have been ripped apart so you could see the, 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 the organs, internal organs, and, and the rib cage. And, and then he's crucified on the cross. Uh, you know, his heart's ruptured. There's blood and everything flows out. Evidence of that. And then they said, well, what actually really happened, and I think, some, I think Muslims would say this, actually Jesus didn't really die. He lay in the tomb. It was nice and cool. And he revived in the tomb. Which I think, okay, Maybe he didn't take too serious a beating. Maybe he really was. He, he did revive in the tomb. But then what you've got to do, he's then got to uh, revive in the tomb. He's got to move this Volkswagen-sized stone up a hill, up this rincline. He's got to do that on his own. And then he's got to go past the guards and, um, or overpower the guards. And then he's, um, he, he, he appears to his disciples Imagine you were 120 people in the upper room. Jesus appears to you and he says, I've conquered death. And you'd say, actually, you really need to go to the nearest hospital. (laughs) But actually, Jesus appeared to them in such a way that they thought, wow, is it really you? Because they couldn't, but yet they did recognize him, but they couldn't recognize him. There was a sense where he appeared to them alive uh, as, as conquered death, but he persuades them. Okay, this, this, dead, this Jesus who wasn't really dead, but just passed out in a coma, came round, gets past the guards, comes to the disciples, says he's conquered death, and then basically uh, he says, I've risen from the dead. And all the disciples say, yes, we believe you, and they all die by one for it. What kind of God is that? What kind of saviour is that? Who, who, mixes this big thought fraud, this big deception, this big myth, and then all his friends die for a lie. I don't think so. A couple more, and then we'll uh, pull this down. 
maybe the tomb was empty. There's a, it's actually recorded in Matthew's Gospel that the Jewish authorities spread the rumour around that the disciples came and stole Jesus' body. Because they've got a problem. They've got an empty tomb with no body. They've got a problem. What's the answer? Well, we need to spread a rumour. So Matthew records, we need to spread a rumour. We need to spread a rumour. Uh, that the disciples have stolen the body. Now, you've got to remember these disciples are absolutely chicken. How many disciples made it to watch Jesus die on the cross? We've read, his, we've read him. One. All the rest ran away. There's some women and one bloke. All the rest ran away. Even Peter, who said, oh, I'll die for you, even at the hint that he was going to be, his cover was going to be blown, he's off. These are scared stiff. But yet, imagine these disciples over the Friday night after they'd seen their friend die unexpectedly. Uh, they, they make a little plan. They get together and say, well, we need Tom with us because he's a big guy and he's going to help us with a stone and, and we'll get a few others and, and we're, oh, we're not having Zach because he's a chicken. And they get them all together and they all say, right, let's go to the tomb and steal the body. And somebody says, ah, what about the 12 soldiers? Well, don't worry, Tom's going to... I don't know who, who we could have. Who could be the, the big disciple? Peter. He's going to sort them out. But Peter's scared stiff. Whatever. Now, we're going to overpower the guards. Actually, we're going to sneak past them. These Roman guards, where they, if they sleep, they're crucified. That we're going to sneak past them. And then they're going to move the heavy stone without waking the guards. Or, and they've got this massive stone. They're going to move it. And then they're going to take Jesus' body. And they're off. Take Jesus' body. And then they say, right, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go with this body? I tell you what, we could put it in the upstairs cupboard... Round at Mary Magdalene's house. Genius. Let's put it in there. No one will ever guess. Let's, let's hide the body. And then what we're going to do is we're going to keep low for 40 days and then we're going to stand up and say, Jesus has risen from the dead. And then they're going to say, well, actually, you're going to die for that. Stephen, first guy who was martyred as a Christian, you're going to die for that. It's interesting, I'm showing my age, but I remember the, the Watergate... Um, you know everything's called gate these days, isn't it? Everything's called gate on the end. Because Watergate was this scandal where the Republican Party raided the hotel of the Democrat Party and uh, took all their information. And there were some tapes made by the then-President Richard Nixon talking about all this. And he basically said, there'll be no whitewash at the White House. We never did this. It never, it, uh, we never broke in. But eventually, oh, as the pressure came on, eventually every single one of the people that was involved said, yes, we did it. There's a guy who was a, a chief of staff, I think, at the time for President Nixon called Chuck Colson. And he uh, later became a Christian. And he said, we were under such intense pressure to hold the lie. But the fact is, the truth will always come out. Imagine if they'd taken those American uh, Republicans and said, actually, Chuck Colson, we're going to behead you if you don't tell us the truth. And he just stands there and he said, no, we never did it. Because that's what they did to all the, the, early, the early followers of Jesus. They crucified, it, crucified them, behead them, they hung them, and not one of them said, it's a lie. We stole the body and it's rotting at Mary's house.
What about, so the tomb was empty. No one's answered why the tomb was empty. Where is the body? And then Jesus appears to 500. Now the answer, some people say, but it's a mass hallucination. Now actually, people do sometimes see loved ones. They think they've seen their loved ones. It does happen. It happens maybe to one or two. That somebody who's died and they think they see their loved ones. They don't believe in ghosts, but it's like, oh, I think I saw them. But it doesn't really happen to 500 people all at once. It doesn't happen to different people at different times and different places. Uh, so that, or they say, well, we saw a ghost. I can't really believe in mass hallucination. So the only answer is that they lied. But why would they lie? Why, if you're going to spread a lie, where would you start? You wouldn't start in Jerusalem, would you? Why wouldn't you start in Jerusalem? Why wouldn't you start spreading the lie that Jesus is raised from the dead in Jerusalem? Answer. That's where it all happened. That's where all the witnesses were. That's where all the people who could say, oh, I know where the body is, I know this, I know this. That's where it happened. You'd start in Rome, wouldn't you? You'd start in Rome with this story where all, as, as Tustus says, where all stupid ideas were passed around. And nobody'd know. But they started in the very place where it happened. And Peter, on the day of Pentecost, stands up and says, you are all eyewitnesses of this fact that Jesus has been crucified. 3,000 plus in the crowd. You're all eyewitnesses. You all saw him die. You all know he's dead. He said, but this Jesus, who you, not very kind of markets, you don't really say that's your fault, you crucified. This Jesus who you crucified, God has made, has raised him from the dead and made him Lord and Christ. And they didn't say, you liar, Peter. He says, they cut to the heart. He says, what must, it, what must we do? People die for wrong beliefs. People die. So we have, you know, even at the moment, we have, I would say, uh, excuse me if it feels politically incorrect, you have ISIS, don't you? You have people dying in jihadi, uh, situation, strapping on bomb suits and killing themselves. And they're dying, not for a lie, because they don't believe it's a lie. They're dying for a wrong belief. And people will die for wrong beliefs. But nobody dies for a lie. Nobody dies for... So the, the, the worrying thing about the whole Islamic jihad is, is they fundamentally believe it that, 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 that as they die, they're going go to go to paradise. There's a fundamental belief, that, and people will die for, die for a belief, a wrong belief, but they won't die for a lie. But yet all the disciples died. Let's land this down now. This is N.T. Wright. He, he's, he was the Bishop of Durham, and he's now a professor of uh, New Testament. And he said this. It's a long quote, but bear with me. The empty tomb and the accounts, and the per, accounts of personal meeting with Jesus are even more historically certain when you realise they must be taken together. If there'd only been an empty tomb and no sightings, no one would have concluded it was a resurrection. They would have assumed that the body had been stolen. Yet if there'd only been eyewitnesses, no one would have concluded the resurrection because people's accounts of seeing departed loved ones are common. Only if the two factors are taken together would you conclude that Jesus was raised from the dead. People say to me, there's no evidence. And I say, well, what about the 17 eyewitnesses? Can we that circle? Yeah. And they say to me, so people say, well, I'm not going to believe the Bible resurrection stories because all the people that wrote it believed in Jesus. Okay, you got that point. Yeah? Second point, the, your, your person who you talk to says, I want somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus because if they believe in Jesus, they're not independent. They must be making it up. But I would say, but 
actually, the reason they believed is because they saw Jesus alive. That's why they believed. So what you're really looking for is somebody who saw Jesus alive but didn't believe they saw Jesus alive. That's a really small subset, isn't it? Imagine you're a, a Jewish person uh, and, you know, one of the 500, and Jesus appears alive to you. You need to say, nah, it's not really him. I didn't really see him. So, actually, the fact that these witnesses, are, they're recorded in the Bible is because they saw the risen Jesus and believed. Like Thomas, they saw Jesus and believed. And so, therefore, you can't really find any evidence, any witnesses for those who, who saw Jesus and didn't believe. So we're left with this. Let's go to the last three slides, four slides. This is what Lord Darling, the form, former Lord Chief Justice, says. Um, he says, There exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world would fail to bring a verdict that beyond all reasonable doubt, the account of the resurrection of Jesus are true. What they're saying is if you put this to a court of law and you brought in the witnesses, there would be no jury that would say it's not true. The only reason we say it's not true is because the huge implications of that. Let me give you another quote. If you don't like a British guy, here's an American for you. Harvard University professor of law said this, according to the laws of legal evidence used in the courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus than just about any other event in history. But this is what Tim Keller says. Well, why does it matter? Just landing it down. This is what Tim Keller says in his book, Reason for God. If Jesus rose from the the dead, then you have to accept all he said. If you really look at the evidence, you have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything that he said? Because he said, I'm going to die on the cross, rise from the dead, to forgive people their sins. Why? The issue, is, the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teachings, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Paul says this is the fundamental thing that matters. And I would say to you, if you're a Christian and you've not really got hold of the fact that this isn't just a nice little idea, that Christianity is braced based on historical events that happened in A.D. 30, that Jesus was was crucified, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose again and ascended. That's what we believe. So we're not believing some pipe dream. This is not a religion based on somebody sitting under a tree and meditating. This is not a religion based on somebody having some dreams and some visions of a night ride on a horse. This is not that. This is historically certain that Jesus is alive. And that should change everything for all of us. Yeah? You might not think, well, I, don't really, I didn't really like your sermon, Howard, because I don't really like that kind of evidence. And I'm sorry if you don't. But actually, what I want to say to you is we need to understand that this event means that it's all true. That Jesus really is the Son of God. That Jesus really does forgive your sins. That, that his life really is our life. That his risen life is in us. That actually changes history forever. Peter Lewis said this. Jesus' resurrection from the dead was not merely a great event upon the plane of history, but an act that breaks into history with the power of another world. 
The bodily resurrection from the Jesus of Jesus from the dead altered everything, both for him and for the whole creation and for all who believe. It's so important, people. Not that you can go away and think, oh, I can't think of Howard's clever answers, but you go away convinced that he's alive. That when you get up in the morning or when you read your Bible or you do your Bible in the year app, you're not just praying to the sky. You're not just reading some made-up story. You believe in a story of of God that's broken in with the power of another age. When we go out and when Paul says, I'm ready and willing and able, why is he ready and willing and able? Because he's died and he's rose again. This is not about like we're some political party that's trying to persuade people of our point of view. We're actually saying this is a historical fact that people died for, and people are still dying for this historical fact. They're still dying with saying that Jesus is alive, and they're still living boldly, and they're still saying that this fact changes everything, and they still look at the world and say the world is going to be made right because Jesus has risen from the dead. There are no more tears, no more sorrow, no more dying, no more pain because Jesus has risen from the dead. This is not pie in the sky when you die. This is Jesus dead, risen, ascended. Do we have to believe this? This is absolutely fundamental. That if Paul says, and I prayed it at the end of the stuff because I'm living with it. I could preach another sermon on it. I mustn't. But he says, Paul says, since we have this hope in this resurrection, this historical fact, since we have this hope, we are what? Very bold. If Jesus didn't die from, rise from the dead, I'm there with all the rest of them. I'm gone. I'm running. I'm not interested. I don't want to die for a lie. I don't want to trust in a lie. You know, okay, so you might say Christianity makes you a nicer person, but actually that's irrelevant. So does humanism. But actually we say, this is the very fact that the age to come has already broken in, that actually what happens in the world is not going to be determined on the 7th of May. It's determined because Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, I'm trying to shout at you because I want you to say, yes, I'm here. Are you here with me? Do you get that? It's absolutely fundamental to read about communist Russia where they'd read, they'd say to you, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? If you're not, you're going to prison. They're coming to a, a, a university in Kenya. Muslim terrorists coming to a university in Kenya and say, will you say that Allah is God? 157, no, Jesus is risen. Jesus is God. I'll take a bullet for that. We sit in our comfy world and, and we don't realise this is life-changing. This is history-changing. This is world-changing. However big or small this church is, the fact is that all creation is going to come under his feet. We sang it. The enemy is under our feet. I used to think that means Satan. It means death. Death has been defeated. Finish with this. My, I, went, I had a meal with my family. My wider family. It was the first time we'd had a meal together since my mum had died. My uncle, who's not a Christian, does a little speech because he's a nice guy. And he said, your mother's funeral was remarkable. He said there was tears, but incredible joy. We have this hope. She's not gone. She's with him in glory. She's united with him, risen with him, lifted up on high with him. They can take your life, 
Jesus says, do not fear those who take your body. We need to be bold, guys. Let's stand and we're going to worship. Let's just stand with me. Band will play. We're not going to sing just yet. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.